Spencer Perkins grew up with a deep distrust of white people. And he had a good reason for that. Because Spencer grew up in Mississippi in the 1960s. He and his four siblings were among the only black children to attend an otherwise all-white school when Mississippi finally began to desegregate their schools in 1966. And so Spencer and his four siblings faced bullying and harassment from many of their white classmates. And then four years later, Spencer's dad, Pastor John Perkins, was arrested and brutally beaten by white police officers because of his civil rights activism in their town. And this event shook Spencer to his core. And his response was to want nothing to do with white people. But God had other plans. You see, the church that Spencer's father, John Perkins, had founded was about 50% black and 50% white. And Spencer watched as white people moved to Mississippi to be a part of his father's ministry. But it always seemed that, that these white people were the ones who ended up in leadership positions in the church. And so Spencer and some others expressed frustration at this development, especially because one of the values of their church was to empower and raise up black leaders from the neighborhood. And so after an explosive meeting around this topic, there were many people in the church who ended up leaving the church as a result. But one person who stayed was a white man from Vermont named Chris Rice. And Chris was tempted to leave too, because after that meeting, he felt very unwanted by some of the members of, of the church, some of the black members of the church. But instead of leaving, Chris did some self-examination. And as he looked inside, he realized that he had never really attempted to get to know some of these black members of the church. And he decided that he actually wanted to understand the deep anger that was being expressed in that meeting better. And so Chris decided to be more intentional about building relationships and listening to the experiences of the black members of the church. And one place where that began to happen was in a small group led by Spencer Perkins and his wife. And that was the beginning of a friendship that grew between these two men, Spencer and Chris, these two men from different races, different cultural backgrounds, and it eventually led to a book that they wrote together called More Than Equals. You see, for both Spencer and Chris, the journey toward racial reconciliation, coming together, bringing harmony and peace between these, these different divisions that can exist sometimes because of race, it came through many, many conversations and personal encounters that they had with each other and also with others in their lives. On today's text, we're going to look at one particular conversation, a personal encounter that also happened between two different people from very different cultural backgrounds. And in these two backgrounds, there was a great amount of animosity 
between these two groups, similar to the history of racial division in our own nation. But the unique thing about this conversation is that one of the individuals was Jesus. In our text today, we're going to see that Jesus, a Jewish man, encounters a Samaritan woman. And we're going to see that the way that he engages with her reveals that that he had a love and heart not just for his own people, his own Jewish people, but also for those who were culturally different from him. We are in the sermon series called God's Heart for All Nations. And in today's text, we're going to see that same heart expressed in the ministry of Jesus. Now, this shouldn't surprise us because Jesus is God in the flesh. And so we should expect to see that the same heart that we saw that God had for the nations expressed in the Old Testament over the last several weeks, which should be also expressed in Jesus as God in the flesh. And so my sermon title today is In the Flesh. Now, as we look at God's heart for all nations in the flesh, in the life and ministry of Jesus. And we're going to focus on this particular encounter that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman as one example of that. The scripture reading we heard earlier that Ambert read, uh, where we saw Jesus in, in encountering a centurion, a Gentile centurion, and, and lifting up his faith is another example of that in the Gospels, where Jesus reached out and even highlighted those who were outside of Israel in different ways. But our text today is going to be John chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 42. But because it's a, a pretty long passage, instead of reading the entire passage at once up front, what I'm going to do today is kind of walk us through this passage chunk by chunk, and, and we're going to be looking at kind of different things that we see along the way in this encounter that Jesus has with this Samaritan woman. So I'm going to start today by reading for us verses 1 through 9 from John chapter 4. Beginning with verse 1, we read, The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, "'Will you give me a drink?' His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. If you've been following along in this series, you know that last Sunday we looked at a passage from the prophet Isaiah, which showed this vision of of all nations, people from all nations streaming to Jerusalem to worship the one true God of Israel. Well, today's passage takes place about 700 years after Isaiah. But during those 700 years, 
things did not look anything like Isaiah's vision that we talked about last week. See, the southern kingdom of Judah was conquered by the Babylonian Empire. The temple and the city of Jerusalem were destroyed. And many of the people were sent into exile to Babylon. And even after some of those exiles returned to the land after a while, and they rebuilt the temple and the walls of Jerusalem, they were still under foreign control. And so by the time of Jesus, you know, 700 years later after Isaiah, the people um, of Israel, kind of the, the, the remnant that had returned, they became known as the Jews because they were descended from the southern kingdom of Judah. That's kind of where the name comes from. And over time, though, over this period of time, God's people had lost an understanding of God's heart for all nations that we've been seeing throughout the Old Testament. Instead, the the Jews of Jesus' day had developed a disdain and an attitude of superiority against anyone who wasn't like them. And one specific group that was viewed this way were the Samaritans. And we see this in verse 9 of our text, where the gospel writer John makes this note, Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Um, John gives us as an explanation for why this Samaritan woman was so surprised when Jesus asked her to give him a drink of water. Now, the Samaritans, they were a group of people who lived in the region of Samaria. And we're going to show a map here that shows exactly where that was, that it was between the southern region of Judea, where Jerusalem was, and then the northern region of Galilee, where Jesus and most of his disciples were from. Samaria kind of was right in between. And the Samaritans, this group of people living in that area, they were descended from people from the northern tribes of Israel who had intermarried with non-Israelite people who had been resettled in the land after the Assyrian Empire had conquered the northern kingdom. And so the Jews, the the people in the southern kingdom of Judah, when they returned to the land, they saw these Samaritans as half-breeds, as inferior. And around 400 BC, the Samaritans, they actually built their own temple on Mount Gerizim, which was right next to the town of Sychar, where Jesus has this encounter with the Samaritan woman. And actually, later on in this conversation, uh, the woman says to Jesus, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. She's referring there to Mount Gerizim. She says, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So this was another point of conflict between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Samaritan temple on Mount Gerizim was eventually destroyed by around the end of the second century BC. But the Samaritans continued to focus their worship around this mountain rather than the temple in Jerusalem. So there was a lot of conflict and and disagreement between these two groups of people. So when a Jewish man like Jesus speaks to this Samaritan woman, it was a big deal. This just didn't happen in that culture. But what happens next in the text is even more remarkable. So let's continue to read in John chapter 4, verses 10 through 26. So after the the Samaritan woman says, who are you, a a, a Jew who's going to ask me, a Samaritan, for a drink of water? 
And so verse 10 continues, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. There is so much packed into this encounter that I just read for you. Unfortunately, we don't have time to explore all of it today. But the thing I want to focus on here is the way that Jesus speaks to this woman who is a cultural outsider, who was looked down upon by the Jewish people at that time. Jesus talks to this Samaritan woman and he tells her that he is offering her living water. In verses 13 to 14, he tells her, everyone who drinks this water, talking about the water in that well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus here is using water as a metaphor for what he is offering to her. Eternal life. And the satisfaction of her spiritual thirst. You see, Jesus knew that this woman was spiritually thirsty. 
he, he points out, he kind of brings this out of her that, that she has had five husbands and was living with a sixth man. And, and she goes to the well, the text tells us, at the sixth hour, which means around noontime, which was the hottest part of the day. And this was a time when no other women would have come to the well. So it seems that, that this woman, she was trying to find fulfillment through relationships with men. But it hadn't been working out for her. She's on her sixth guy at this point. And so as a result of that, that it seems that she was likely rejected by the women in her town. She had to go to the well at noon to avoid anybody else and the stares and the looks that they might have given her. And Jesus knows all of this about this woman. And he looks at her and And basically what he's telling her is, I can satisfy that spiritual thirst that you're trying to satisfy through romantic relationships. The ways that you're chasing after these men, you're trying to be fulfilled and satisfied, but you know what? I have something that will actually satisfy you. Those relationships won't satisfy your thirst, but a relationship with me will. Jesus expresses God's heart for all nations in the flesh as he reaches out to this Samaritan woman and he offers her eternal life and offers to satisfy her deepest needs. In fact, he even reveals to her that he is the promised Messiah. He does that at the very end of of where I left off reading there. And this was something that Jesus had not even done to a Jewish person at this point in his ministry. Jesus chooses a Samaritan to be the first person to hear this amazing revelation as he reveals, yes, I am the Messiah. He also tells her in verse 21, that a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem and when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. As we we talked about earlier, the Samaritans, they had built their own temple on this other mountain and they had kind of attempted to create their own way of worshiping God apart from the temple in Jerusalem. But here, Jesus says that worship isn't about a particular location It's not about Mount Gerizim, but it's also not about the temple in Jerusalem. As I talked about last week, Jesus had come to be the new temple. And so worship would no longer be centered in Jerusalem. Worship would now be centered in him, in Jesus. What Jesus calls worshiping in spirit and truth. You can worship Jesus anywhere. You don't have to be in a particular location. Even here today, you can worship God right in your homes. You can worship God here in the building. We are worshiping our God in spirit and in truth because we are united in worshiping Jesus. And this worship that Jesus talks about, he makes it very clear that it is open to both Jews and Samaritans. And ultimately, It'll be open to people from all nations. Again, that centurion that Jesus spoke to in our scripture reading, even reaching out to Gentiles. 
Well, I want to continue reading to see where this ends up going after this encounter with this woman as, as Jesus reveals his heart for her, for the Samaritan. Then we see things shift a little bit in this next section. So let's read together verses 27 through 38. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, says Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. The disciples, they return to Jesus to the well after having gotten some food and they find Jesus engaged in conversation with this Samaritan woman. And you can imagine the shock that they must have felt as they saw him not only engaging with this woman, which was also sort of a, a taboo, but, but the fact, again, that she is a Samaritan. You know, what is a respectable rabbi like Jesus doing speaking to this Samaritan woman? But then Jesus, as, as he moves on, he addresses this in a unique way where he tells them, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. What, what is Jesus saying here? Jesus sees this town of Samaritans as a field of people who are ripe for harvest. The, the town is, is on their way, coming towards him, and he's telling the disciples, look, look around you guys. These people who, who you tend to see as inferior and, and try to avoid, no, no, no. They are a field ripe for harvest. He wants them to receive the living water and the eternal life that he was talking about with the Samaritan woman. And he wants his disciples to see this too. You see, Jesus knew that the disciples didn't see the Samaritans this way. They saw them as cultural outsiders who worshipped the wrong way, as people who were inferior and not a part of God's chosen people. But Jesus wants his disciples to see these Samaritans as people whom God loves. People who could also receive the gospel. 
I have a question for you. How do you see people who are culturally different from you? How do you see that immigrant family who moved into your neighborhood and who might have some habits and behaviors that are different from yours? And maybe you don't really like those habits or behaviors very much. Or, or how do you see the person who is the polar opposite of you politically? The person that you just can't understand how they could be so wrong. Do you see that person or that family as kind of a nuisance? Maybe as your opponent? Maybe as a threat? Or do you see them as someone who is spiritually thirsty? Someone who is in need of Jesus' living water? Do you see them as, as part of those fields that are ripe for harvest that Jesus was talking about? Are you willing to have a conversation with them and listen for their hurts, to listen for their needs? in order to see how maybe Jesus' living water might satisfy them? Chris Rice, who I mentioned at the beginning of this sermon, he recognized that when he heard anger from some of his black brothers and sisters, his tendency was to react defensively. He wanted to show them that, that he wasn't a racist white person, and he felt himself instead criticizing their anger rather than trying to understand it. You see, Chris, as he was reacting to them, he was really focused on himself, how he was feeling. But over time, he began to shift to actually focus on the other person. So that instead of reacting defensively and thinking primarily about himself and, and how that person was affecting him, he began to ask the question, why is this person so angry? And how could I better understand their perspective so that I could respond with empathy and compassion rather than criticism and self-protection? Spencer Perkins realized that that much of the hurt that he had experienced from white people in his childhood and youth had created this general mistrust of white people in general. And, and so he too, when he was engaged with, with someone, a, a white person who didn't understand the unique struggles of black people in our nation, he was also primarily focused on himself and getting defensive and angry and frustrated. But as time went on, he began to also shift his focus onto the other person to try to understand why they saw the world the way that they did. What had shaped them in their views? And, and again, just like Chris, to respond actually with empathy and compassion rather than disdain and dismissal. Do we have eyes to see and ears to hear the people who are different from us, whom God has placed in our lives for a purpose, are we willing to listen, to hear the stories of people who are different from us, to see how God may be filling us with 
empathy and compassion to be able to maybe speak a word of comfort and encouragement into that person's life. After the Samaritan woman told her story to the other Samaritans in her village, as I said, they they came out to Jesus and his disciples. And so I'm going to just read the last part of this passage in John 4. We close out with verses 39 through 42. It says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Jesus chose to stay with those Samaritans for two more days. And and he invited his disciples to stay with them too. And what happened as a result? Many more became believers. They confess at the end of this passage that Jesus is the Savior of the world. These Samaritans who worshipped in the wrong place, who were theologically mistaken in different ways, who were culturally different, they came to believe that Jesus was the Savior of the world. I wonder what kind of impact that had on Jesus' disciples. As they stayed in that Samaritan village for two days, as, as they saw these people who they looked down upon, who they would normally try to avoid, become believers in Jesus. Did that shift how they began to see Samaritans? Did they begin to see that that God's heart really is for all nations, not just for people like them? Brothers and sisters, the truth is, that we are all like that Samaritan woman, that we are all spiritually thirsty and in need of Jesus' living water. It's not just people out there who are thirsty in need of Jesus. We are too. And it is pure grace that Jesus has come to any of us and offered to satisfy our thirst. None of us deserves it. In fact, when we are willing to admit that, that our attitude towards those who are different from us, that, that sometimes if we're really honest about how we react to people who are different from us, we need to acknowledge that, that we fall way short of Jesus' example in this passage. But Jesus has compassion for you and for me just like he had compassion for this woman and had compassion for the Samaritans in the village and had compassion for his own disciples who just didn't get it so often. You see, we all need his living water. And as we drink of it and and receive his forgiveness and mercy once again, Jesus tells us to go 
and offer it to some other people too. Not just to people who are like you, but to people who may be very different from you. Who are the Samaritans in your life? Who are the people that Jesus is saying, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. May we be like this woman who after tasting Jesus' living water for herself couldn't help but run and tell everyone she knew about him. About him who was the one who embodied God's heart for all nations in the flesh. Him who was the savior of the world. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that that often we do not have your attitude that you had for this Samaritan woman when we encounter those who are different from us. That oftentimes we are so focused on ourselves and our own frustrations with with differences that may be there or or we may look down upon people. We may think that that we, we, we judge them, we criticize them for doing things differently, for thinking differently than than us. We even maybe see some people as a threat to us or to our nation. And Lord, forgive us for having eyes that are so focused on ourselves when we look at other people rather than seeing people with your eyes, your eyes of compassion. Lord, give us your eyes to be able to see the people around us as part of those those harvest fields that are ripe for harvest, people who who desperately need your living water in their lives, just like we do. Lord, thank you that you are gracious to us. You forgive us for our short-sightedness and you forgive us for our attitudes. And and Lord, we, we, we pray that as we receive that grace, that living water in our own lives, that it would change us to begin to see the people around us as just fellow people who need that water too. And that you would use us as your agents to to share that good news and to love people the way that you love them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.